All right, today we start a new year and a new series called Habits and Rhythms. And for the next four weeks, we are going to train hard towards a life that is well-lived. Who you are, the quality of your life today is a direct result of your past habits, rhythms, and practices. And who you will be in the future will be a direct result of your present habits, rhythms, and practices. Generally speaking, that is true. Generally speaking. And I need to say two things before that statement gets you all messed up. First, the world is relentlessly painting a picture for you of what a quality life looks like, of what a life that is well-lived looks like. The Bible is often in direct opposition to what the world is telling you a quality life is. Which means that there is a war being fought over what you are aiming at. And if you get the aim wrong, you get everything wrong. You can work as hard as you want, and what you'll be doing is working very hard towards an aim, towards a target that you are hitting, but if it's the wrong target, then you work very hard to get very quickly into some type of hellish abyss. That's the first thing you need to know. Second, all of that I said is generally speaking. Who you are today being a direct result of your past habits, that is true generally speaking. Here's what I mean. In the book of Proverbs, we are told that if you are wise, if you follow these principles in life, then you will have success in life, generally speaking. And then the book of Job comes along. The book of Ecclesiastes come along and says, but there's always an exception to this. However, who you are as a person could be soaring to the heights. That's a good thing. But that doesn't mean that you're going to experience all the success in life. And then last thing before we dig in, I know what you're probably thinking. How can I add anything else to what I'm already doing? We're talking about habits and rhythms. And Darren kind of gave it away earlier. Yeah. No, that's good. You can't do anything else, probably. You're probably at your end. And what you probably need to do is do less of a lot of the things that you're doing so you can make space to do what's more important. This series is going to test how you spend your time and how you spend your energy. And we're going to look at two separate passages today. One is going to be from 1 Timothy 4. The other is going to be from Exodus 20. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. All right, now we're going to move back to the Old Testament into Exodus 20 to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work and do all your work. But the seventh day 
is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, first point, godliness. At the end of your life, at your funeral, what do you want to be said about you? And are you living now in such a way that those things will be said about you? And are you even sure that those are the things that should be said about you? Are you even sure that you are aiming at the right thing? Would your kids and your spouse and your parents want you to be aiming at something different? Or what about your beloved pastor? What would he have you aiming at? And how do you know who's right? Who has the authority to make this list? And you're probably saying to yourself, well, I do. I have the authority to make this list. And to some degree, yes, you are responsible for your life. But here's the problem. In 10 years from now, you're going to be pretty angry at the version of you that you are right now because you're going to look at the mistakes you're making and you're going to say, how could you have done that? How could you have been living that way? And then 10 years from then, you're going to say the same thing about the 10-year version of yourself that's beyond. So 20 years, you get the math, right? Okay. If God said to you what you should be aiming at, he would probably be a good person to listen to. And the Bible gives you your aim, and the aim is godliness. What's godliness? It's to be conformed to the ideal version that God has made you to become. It's to be in step with the will and the character of God. To be godly is to find the right target... Take aim and hit the target like a master arrow hunter. And the way to get there is by training. By the right practices, by the right disciplines, by the right habits in your life. And the training we're looking at today is the Sabbath. The fourth commandment. And it says the day is set apart as holy, as blessed. God creates all things. He blessed the animals. He blessed humanity. And then he blessed a day. A day that is meant to be a gift for you. And that gift, it's a beautiful gift. It's an amazing gift. And it's supposed to be opened up, unwrapped, once a week, every Sunday. But there's another kind of training that you are likely putting yourself through without realizing it. Another thing that's disguised as a gift, but actually it's a curse. And it's not from God. And you are opening up this gift without realizing it. So that means before we're going to talk about the Sabbath, we need to talk about all the ways that you are being trained right under your nose without realizing it's happening. Second point, training in worldliness. Our main verse that we're going to be looking at through the entire series in 1 Timothy, it's written to combat against false teaching. You know what false teaching is? It's a belief system or practice 
that makes you less of who God's made you to become, less human, less godly. False teaching makes you work hard toward excellence in the wrong direction. False teaching leads to a well-intentioned life, like you are being intent on hitting a target. The problem is the targets you are aiming at is the wrong target. In fact, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which literally means to miss the mark. And so false teaching trains you in excellence in sin. Everywhere around you, there are trainers, coaches, teachers, pointing you to the way that you should go. And you're paying those teachers a lot of money. You don't even realize you're doing it. And they're setting you down this road, this fast road, and you're moving like a Ferrari down this road, only you're going in the wrong direction. It's leading you in the opposite way you should go. Who are these trainers? False gods. The first commandment says don't have any false gods. And while the first commandment says don't have false gods, the last commandment says don't covet. Another way of saying that is don't be jealous. Don't envy. Positively put, it means be content. Why am I talking about these first and last commandments? Well, the first commandment, have no other gods. Whatever you follow in life, whatever is telling you where to aim, that's the God of your life. And that's the thing that you're going to, not only to see where you should aim, but to give you the power and the strength and the teaching to hit what you're aiming at. That's the first commandment. And the last one, you know, don't be jealous, don't be envious, be content. This is your warning sign that if you aren't content, this rare thing that you've probably experienced in your life, if you aren't content and if you find envy or jealousy in your heart, it means you have a problem with the first commandment. See, the two are connected to each other. They're woven together. The first commandment and the last commandment are like the bread and the sandwich that ties everything else together. So if you put all this together... If you're jealous of someone, if you envy, if you aren't content in your life, it means you have some other false god on the throne of your heart that's telling you what to aim at. And you're hitting that mark, but you're hitting it and you're finding you're not content. There's a big problem here. And, okay, let me just get more practical. You have a picture of what the good life is in your imagination. Where did that picture come from? Who told you that that's what you should be picturing? Some type of God told you that. And I know that sounds a bit strange, but you could make anything a God. Our hearts are God-making factories. And we have a few of these gods who reign in our culture. One God is the God of success. Another is materialism. Another is comfort, and another is beauty. And something you so desperately need to know about these false gods, they take good things and they twist them. 
Something good and beautiful and right gets twisted and tainted and causes a sickness in your heart and your mind. And that makes idolatry one of the most dangerous tests that you will ever face in your life. And you're facing it every day. And it's happening right under your nose and you're not even realizing it. So the God of success, watch, says work hard. That's a good thing, right? Work hard. There's a little bit of a twist here, though, because soon this goddess of success starts whispering in your ear. You don't work hard enough. You're not grinding like that other guy over there. And so you say, okay, I better grind. I better get to this. And then you put it in your mind. You're like, I'm going to do this for my kids. I'm going to give them a great future by working hard. That's a good thing, but it gets twisted because watch what happens. You begin to neglect your kids because you're working so hard for their future. And maybe you give them great wealth in the future. But guess what? You haven't taught them what to do with their wealth. And they've been watching you, and as they've watched you, what they've seen is important in life. Because whether you, want to, whether you like it or not, your kids are watching you, and they're learning from you. So whatever way you go, they're thinking, that's what I should do. You will always have the most influence in your kid's life over anybody else. They're watching you. And so if you live that way, they're going to say, well, that must be how I should live. That's what's important in life. There's one. The God of success. Another God. Well, let me tell you, this God has shown up in the church today, the American church. Success in the church has become a God. And likely, some of you who have been wounded by the church have been wounded because of this God of success. Because what the world has said to the church is, that's what you should be aiming at. And so what's happened is, the church has put the success of more people, more people in the pews, more dollars in the plate, and that's become the aim. That's become the goal. And then what's happened is these churches have become really big. And then people say, wow, they're huge. They must be doing everything right. And so then all the pastors get together and go underneath the feet of these pastors who are doing everything right with these big churches and say, teach us. And we just assume that they're teaching us the right way because they're successful. Never do we ask, is this biblical and is this right? And okay, see, yes, so that resonated. But I'm, I'm not saying that there's a problem with big churches. I'm saying the problem is the aim. Where are we aiming? And we always start tricking ourselves with the aim. And we're not immune to this as a church just because we're small. We have to always watch our hearts. All right, here's another one, the God of materialism. It says you need more stuff to make you happy. You need a Tesla or a new truck or you need the Tesla truck. Or you need a new house. Or you need this next thing that's coming out. And so you're, you're chasing it. And you know what? You're getting a bit of satisfaction in the chase because you've got your aim. And an aim will give you a purpose. And a purpose makes you feel good. And so you chase it and chase it and chase it. And then you get it. And you hold it in your hands and it's like water. that un it's, like, it's not satisfying. You sort of squeeze it and it just falls to the ground. And then you look at it because you're looking around at other people who have more stuff now. And you say, well, I want that now. And then 
our world has kind of figured this out and said, hey, this is not a good thing. And so they came up with this thing called minimalism. Now, just so all of you hipsters know, this has been a thing that Jesus has been doing since the beginning. He's like the original hipster. He has always said, be content with little because he is enough. And then we have the God of beauty. Again, all of these are twists. We're made to enjoy beauty. But when you look at someone who is beautiful and you covet them, you are no longer enjoying beauty. You want it all to yourself and you don't want to share it. You want people bowing to you and to your beauty. Or you take something beautiful and you lust over it. This is a way of saying that's mine when it's not yours. You haven't put the commitment into something. And then we have the God of comfort. This is the king in our area. Comfort is king. Anything that makes us uncomfortable, we don't do. And I want you to, I want you to know something about life. If you're going to love well, you have to sacrifice. And sacrificing requires a bit of discomfort. But we don't want that. And so we avoid church. We avoid relationships with our neighbors and our friends and our family because, well, that's uncomfortable. And so then in your life, you never really love because you're avoiding the discomfort of life. And then you find yourself at the end of life weak because you're meant to sacrifice you're meant to fight for your friends and your loved ones. And as you fight, you go to comfort from Christ and Christ alone. He's meant to give you comfort. It's a genius move from Christ to say, lose yourself to find yourself. Give everything and follow me. Because it puts you in a place where you're living with purpose, but you're relying on him for comfort. And that makes strong people. So, a lack of contentment and a fistful of jealousy is a sign that you are caught like in the grips of hell and it's pulling you down. And this will lead to a funeral where people have to make things up about you in order to find a way to honor you as opposed to speaking these truths that ring like bells because you lived a life that was well lived. To save us from this wasted life, God has given us a practice, a rhythm, a habit, a discipline, and it's called the Sabbath. And this is our third point, training in godliness. The Sabbath, what is it? It's a whole day that's been set aside to make space for God in your life. A whole day. The point of it is to experience God, to reorient yourself with God. And then when you do that, he takes the arrow that you're aiming at, the target, and he moves your arrow to the right target. And then he trains you and equips you to hit the target you ought to have been aiming at the whole time. Listen to this. The Sabbath is how you prepare yourself for the moments that matter the most. The Sabbath is how you prepare yourself for the moments that matter the most. Four ways 
four reasons why you need the Sabbath. First, you will work better if you have a Sabbath, like a real Sabbath. Because you won't be running on fumes, but the atomic spiritual energy of the presence of God in your life. Studies show that if you work 55 hours or 70 hours, you will get the same amount done. Only, well, then you've got 15 hours of life that's now been wasted. You don't have a balanced life. So first, work. Second, second reason you need the Sabbath is for your family. Your family needs you to be nourished so you can be present with them. And so, look, you can't nourish people if you aren't nourished. That's an amen. I, I agree, sister. You, you cannot nourish others if you are not being nourished. You've got nothing to give. And husbands and fathers, you will not lead your family well if you do not have Sabbath rest. Why? Because you're tired and you won't be present. But you're also now setting example for the rest of your family how they should be living. And so you're like, come on, let's live our life running on fumes. It's going to be awesome. And everyone's like, all right, let's follow dad. This is going to be great. And honestly, your kids probably need a break. Your family needs a Sabbath. You think about your kids go to school for eight hours, then they have their activities after school, and then they have homework at night. We're training our kids to never make space for God in their life. Never has the Sabbath been more neglected and never has it been needed more than it is today. I mean, I guess I guess I can say that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not even 40. But I have a feeling. Anyways, Sabbath. Third, third reason you need the Sabbath is to prepare you for temptation that is to come. Because without the Sabbath, you face temptation without power and without rest, without the energy and strength that you need. Many of the temptations that you keep falling into are because you're spiritually exhausted. You don't have one ounce of fight left in you. And you're running on fumes and you think you can do it and you just keep failing, failing, failing. You're exhausted. Who do you think you are? You need God to give you some strength. And if you're not careful, you're going to run on fumes long enough and you're going to do something that's going to ruin your life. Fourth reason you need the Sabbath is for delight. Sabbath brings you to delight in God. The point of the Sabbath is the joy. Look, the point of the Sabbath is the joy, the pleasure, and the delight of knowing God and being known by him. To enter into the sacred space with him and have all of your desires met in him and him alone. We are desiring creatures. You know the reason you're jealous is because you have desires. And you're going to something that's not quenching your desire. Like your ultimate hope is like to be famous in the eyes of God. And you know, like that sounds weird, but it's not. Like the whole concept is having the approval of God. Like you crave it so bad. And God, because of Christ thinks you're amazing. So when you're jealous, it's proof that you're exhausted. You're spiritually unrested because you're not sitting under like God and hearing, well, like, I love you. Well done. 
I got your back. You're not hearing those things. And so you want to take from everybody else to feel some worth in your life. We're desiring creatures. And these desires in you are going to, like, they're going to keep spinning until you go to God. Because no matter how much beauty, success, achievement, comfort, or pleasure you find in this life, no matter how much of it you find, you will still want more. Do you know why? You are infinite in your wants. You are infinite in desire because you are made for the infinite God. You are made to never find rest until you find your rest in him. Your restless heart, it's the operating system that's telling you, you need God. And my guess is your soul right now, there's like a blinking light going off like, you need him. You need him. And so you go, just go to him. If the Sabbath day is not the best day of your week, you're doing it wrong. If it's not the best day of your week, you're doing it wrong. So what are some mistakes that you make? The, the biggest mistake I made with Sabbath is I put so much pressure on the Sabbath to find rest that when anything came along in my day that caused me a little bit of unrest, I get so angry at that thing. That's the first mistake. Second mistake, you don't push through the guilt and shame. What happens when you come into the presence of God? You're like, okay, I put my phone down. I turn the TV off. I'm about to go in the presence of God. And as soon as you're doing it, you're like opening up this door to the presence of God. And then you think the door starts creaking. And you're like, oh, my sin. And then all this guilt and shame starts flooding into you. And so you close the door back and then you go back to your phone. Like, this is easier. This is an escape for me. And if you will push through that guilt and shame, what you will find on the other side of that door is the God who is far more gracious to you than you will ever be to yourself. You've got to push through it. If you're doing the Sabbath right, you will. And then third, third mistake you might be making is you aren't consistent enough with the Sabbath. You can't cram. You can't cram everything you need from God into one hour on a Sunday. It's not going to work. And by the way, if you are cramming, like how you use your time tells you what you think will delight you and what you think is important. And so if you're cramming with God, it's like, it's like, it's like another blinking light for your soul. Like you're doing this wrong. What you probably need is to spend time with God every day. And it turns out maybe he's right about this. And then you also need like a whole day in the week just to rest and be with him. And by the way, so the Sabbath is not about you just like twiddling your thumbs. Like it is you pursuing God. Which, which in a way is maybe harder work because you got to deal with the guilt and the shame and all this other stuff. But if you will stay persistent, you'll get to him and then he will give you rest. The point of the Sabbath is not that it's going to give you rest, the Sabbath itself. The Sabbath takes you to God who gives you rest. So you have something to do on the Sabbath. And so if you do that, you spend time each day, and then you spend a whole day for the Sabbath. Then this one hour 
will become far more meaningful and impactful for you. In fact, it won't matter if I go a little bit longer in the sermon. Because you know what? You've got the whole Sunday. It's not like, David, I've got something to do. What do you have to do? It's the Sabbath. You should have nothing to do on this day. Some of you are like, oh. It's okay. He loves you. He's saying, come, come to me. I will give you rest. And if you don't do it, eventually you are going to burn out and crash. And it's going to turn from Sabbath rest into, sa- into Sabbath discipline. Meaning, all right, you want to keep going? God's going to put a situation for you and you're just going to crash. You're going to have no other choice but to take like three months of doing nothing to try to catch up. Or what happens if you don't take a Sabbath is you start seeking it in other ways. Comfort from food. Escape with some red wine. Pornography. These are all vain attempts to escape. And they're anxious searchings for the delight that will only come from your God. So go to him. The point of the Sabbath is so you might know God and be known by him and find rest in him, delight in him, pleasure in him, love from him, joy in him, peace when you're all around him. And those are all things that Christ came to give you, which means that Christ came to give you the gift of Sabbath. Christ died so you might be at any moment able to enter into a sacred space with God. He lost the sacred space on the cross so that you can have one. And inside of death, he rose up and he took you with him to rescue you from this jealousy that's in your heart, to rescue you from envy, to rescue you from a life of discontentment. So he might bring you up out of that into abundant life with him because now you are living in the sacred space with him now, always and forever. Honor his death. By doing the thing he died so you would be able to do. Rest in him. So, New Year's resolution number one. Rest in him. Sabbath. I don't know what you have planned today. But Monday is coming tomorrow. And Monday will require a lot of you. And you're probably running on fumes already. So if you want to start your year right, rest. Rest in him. Do it today. He's the only one that's going to satisfy the most desperate desires in your heart. He's the only one that's going to fill you with everything that you need. So you might come and face the day and you do that every single week, which means that every single day throughout that week, you're going to live a life that is well lived, which means at the end of your life, you can look back at it with God and say, I lived well, and I lived well because you were with me, and you were my only hope all the way through. Let's pray.
God, you are good and you are mighty. And there are things that we face today and tomorrow that are too big for us. You've designed them to be too big for us so that we might go to you. And so, God, for everybody here that feels jealousy in their heart towards others, envy, everyone here that feels a discontentment about their life, God, I don't pray that you would take that away from them. I pray that you would turn it all the way up until they become so desperate that their only solution is to go to you, to give them the rest from that discontented life. God, help us to be people who are obedient to you, not because we have to, but because we trust you and we know that you have our good designed. God, bring us to you right now. Every distraction that's taking us away, I pray that you would move it out of our minds, out of our hearts, so we would have a real sacred space moment with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.